0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah, we can say that. We can say Merry Christmas. Well, I, um, if you've been around New King for a little while, you know that one of our values here is depth. And we talk about um, a depth of study produces a depth of soul. If we skim across the surface of the scriptures, then we will have shallow souls. And we, um, so we dive deep here at New King, or we do our best to. And this is a sermon that On the one hand, you could look at it and say it's simple. It's focused on the gospel. It's focused on what Jesus has accomplished in His coming to earth and dying in our place and being raised from the dead. Um, But in another way, you look at this and you say, yes, it's simple in that it's focusing on what Jesus accomplished in the gospel, but it's also deep. We're going to dig a lot. Uh, So there's a lot of Scripture today. I'll just go ahead and kind of warn you about that. I'm going to read them, though, from the screen so that you're not having to constantly flip if you don't want to do that. And if you would like, you can always go back and re-listen uh, online if you want to find all of the references, if you, if you can't get them down and you want to. Um, but I want to kind of give you that heads up. This is all going to spring from this passage that we just read in Daniel chapter 7 and come back to it in the end And um, so pray with me one more time, and let's ask the Lord to be our teacher this morning. Oh Lord, we do want to see you more clearly. We want to worship you with all of our hearts, and so we ask, Lord, would you come, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me and be in my mouth and help me to rightly divide your word, and Lord, help us to be discerning hearers who hear this and receive the truth. And Lord, would you help us to see you in a more full, in a more robust way today. And and to come away from here more in love with you, more appreciative of this gospel and worshiping you as a result of what we've seen. And so we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we are looking at this title for Jesus, Son of Man. Last week, we looked at Son of David, and so we are, we are coming to adore Jesus. That's the title of this series. Oh, come, let us adore him. We want to see who he is and appreciate all that he's done. And last week, we looked at this title, Son of David, and today, we're looking at the title, Son of Man. And there there is so much packed into that title, Son of Man. It's actually the title that Jesus uses most often to describe himself. And it's interesting because other people don't. Uh, Other people tend to describe him by the title Christ or Lord, but he uses this by far the majority of the time. So this title, Son of Man, it shows up some 84 times in the New Testament. 81 of those are Jesus using it to refer to himself. And so when he says son of man, what's he talking about? Well, in biblical literature, when you see something that says a son of, then it means that they're a type of that thing. So when you see sons of the prophets, it is a prophet that it's talking about. It's someone who is one of the prophets. And so when you see a son of man, it's talking about one of... The humans. And so when Jesus says son of man, he is referring to his humanity. He's referring to the fact that he is a human. But there's more to it than that. He is also referencing a very famous story that all Jewish children would have grown up hearing and learning about. And it's the story that we just heard a piece of read in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has this dream. and We didn't uh, read all of it. But in this dream, he's seeing these these rulers being raised up, coming up out of the sea, and they are like beast-like rulers. They're, they're the, like these mutant beasts, right? And there's four of them, one after the other. And then he finds out that these all represent rulers. And it kind of fits this theme for Daniel. Daniel is in exile, and he is under the rule of these beastly uh, Men who are just kind of doing their whatever they're worst. The chapter before this is the famous story where he's thrown into a den of lions, again with beasts, and it's expected that these lions are going to destroy him because he doesn't bow down, um, or actually because he bows down and worships God, um, and he's not supposed to do that. And so the king throws him in the den of lions, but God spares him. And so you have these, these people, these rulers, raising up and acting like wild animals, doing whatever. And then in the midst of that dream, he sees what we just heard read, that somebody comes riding in on the clouds. And let's just stop there and say that if you're seeing somebody riding on some clouds, you're, you're going to expect that this is a god, right? And yet, There's a a surprise there. He says, one riding the clouds of heaven, and it's a son of man. It's a human being riding on clouds. And this human being comes riding on the clouds up to the throne of the ancient of days. And he's presented before the ancient of days and given dominion. It's the very first thing that it says after he's presented. It says... And to him was given dominion. So we're going to dig into what's beneath that um, in the scriptures. Dominion, it means rule, it means reign, it means governance. It's not a word we use a whole lot, but it is, that's what it means. And so this human being rides up in the clouds or on the clouds before the ancient of days, before God, Yahweh, and is given dominion. So if you were a Jewish listener, or if you're familiar with the scriptures, what's going to immediately come into your mind when you think about a human being handed dominion is the creation account. And so in the creation account, here is what we find. We'll read this together in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. This is when God, let me just set the scene here, God has created the heavens, the earth, plants, animals, everything, and he, he's going to finish it off with the crown of creation, and that is human beings. And here's the way that it says it. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So the very first thing that God says about man after saying that they're going to be made in his image and after his likeness is that they're going to have dominion, power, governance, or rule again over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So everything, over all The earth and over all the beasts of the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, so here God creates the final piece of his creation. And this is how the final piece of his creation is, is going to be different than everything else. They're going to be made in my image. They're going to reflect my image, he says. In my likeness, I'm going to make them. And this also sets them apart. They will have dominion. They will have control over, rule over the earth. They will govern it. They will subdue it. They will multiply and fill it with what? With His image. The whole earth will be filled with God's image as they subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So that's, that's the story of that would, should come to our minds when we look at this scene, this dream that Daniel has of a, one like a man, like a son of man, coming before the Ancient of Days and being handed dominion. But as we know, if you continue reading the story in Genesis, the story takes a turn, Right? In Genesis chapter 3, here's what we read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. So here you have, just pause here for a second, one of the beasts that Adam and Eve have been given dominion over, right? Rule over, governance over. And here comes this serpent into the story and says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And so here comes this serpent slithering into the story and speaking deception and trying to get the humans, the crown of creation, to disobey their creator, to listen instead of to the voice of God, to listen to His voice. Now, had they done what they'd been commissioned to do, then the story goes differently than it does, right? They, had, they been, had they actually exercised dominion over this serpent, then, then, then what happens here is either they crush this serpent right then, or they say, this is a lie. We don't listen to you. You listen to us. We rule over you. You don't lead us. We lead you. But they don't do that, do they? Instead, they listen to the serpent. They obey one of the beasts that they are supposed to rule. And the reason is because they want to usurp God's authority. The serpent says, God just knows that you'll be like him if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they want that. They want to rule. They want to have dominion without being under God's authority. And so they take the fruit, they eat, and the fall occurs, and a a curse falls on humanity. But the Bible tells us, as we continue reading on in the story, that there was more going on here than just a snake that uh then this beast that was you know speaking lies we find out in revelation 12:9 for example it says and the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and satan the deceiver of the whole world so what we find as we continue reading is that there are unseen forces of evil to use Ephesians 6 language, there are unseen forces of evil at work in the world, and that's what was going on with this serpent in Genesis 3. So what happened? This has been the question that I've been digging into, digging into. What happened at the fall? What was really lost at the fall? Because if we Can't understand that, then we can't fully appreciate the gospel, can we? Because the gospel is more than just your sins forgiven. It's far more than that. It's it's far deeper than that, far more glorious than that, far more mysterious and beautiful and wonderful and glorious. It, It is the restoration, the redemption of all that was lost. And so we need to understand what was lost, don't we? We begin to see more of this in the very next story in Genesis. So after the fall, the very next story, it says that Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. And Abel is the obedient son. He does as the Lord desires. And then Cain is the disobedient son. And the next thing we hear in the story is that God is coming to Cain, warning him that sin is crouching at the door. Isn't that an interesting language? It sounds like an animal, right? It's crouching at the door. And its desire, God says to him, its desire is for you, but you must rule it. There's this language of dominion again. You must not let sin rule over you, but you must rule over it. But here's what we find happens. He doesn't rule over it, and he murders his brother Abel, the obedient son. Sin takes dominion of Cain, and now Cain, the son of disobedience, does exactly what Ephesians 2.2 2 says. Let's look at that one together. Ephesians 2.2 2 says, He follows the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now let me point something out here. When Adam and Eve sinned, that Satan's um, influence was outside of them. He has to come to them and speak to them from something outside of them through a serpent. Now Cain, it says sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to rule over you. Now sin is entering in is the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. And so the son of disobedience murders the son of obedience. Another picture, we see these pictures over and over and over again of the gospel. And we begin to see a little bit more fully what was really lost at the fall. And what was lost at the fall was by humanity's, disobedience to God by their sin, they gave over dominion to Satan. They handed it over to him. They, in fact, they came right up underneath his authority and rule. And their sin gives him legal claim over them. And we're going to read about that as we, as we go on. But essentially, at the fall, human beings abdicated their God-given authority over the earth, to rule over the earth. They gave it over to the serpent. It says in 1 John 5.19 that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world. Remember, when human beings were given dominion it said that they would rule over the whole earth over the all of the animals and over the whole earth and now the whole world lies in the power of the evil one and in Luke 4 the account Luke's account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness here's what we read that Satan tempts Jesus with it says and the devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I give it to whom I will. Now, who delivered all of the authority to rule over the earth but Adam and Eve? And it was theirs to give away, and they did. And so here, Satan, that serpent, the deceiver of the whole world, comes and he tempts Jesus with a shortcut. Jesus has come to restore, to take back the dominion. And here's what Satan says, you bow down and worship me, and I'll go ahead and give it to you all. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do any of that stuff. I'll give it to you right now. And he says, no. He will not do it. And so we learn as we read on that to sin against God is to come under the dominion of the devil. Had Jesus worshipped him right then, he would have come under his dominion. He would have been under the domain of Satan, but he didn't do it. 1 John 3.8, it tells us that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Namely, sin. Right? So so what this says is that when we sin, when any of of us sin, we are aligning ourselves with the devil. We're saying, we're in agreement with you. We, We will rebel along with you. We will come into alignment with this domain of rebellion, this domain of darkness. But Jesus, the Son of God, appears, why? To destroy the works of the devil. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of the time looking at. How did he do that? How did he destroy the works of the devil? How did he undo this massive mess, right? And so we're going to see how he dismantled The domain of darkness, one piece at a time. The first thing that we see that Jesus did in coming as a son of man and coming as a human being, the first thing he had to do was to withstand Satan's power, to refuse to give away what was given to him by God. So, in the same way that Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan's power, the power of deception. Jesus, too, is going to go through the same test. We read about this in Mark. In Mark's gospel, he tells it this way. It says, The Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Isn't that an interesting detail that Mark throws in there? He was with the wild animals. He's with the beasts. Right? So there's this kind of this theme going on here of, in the beginning, Adam and Eve are given dominion over the animals. They're given dominion over the beasts. And then, as soon as they fall, as soon as they listen to the beast, the serpent... They fall, right? They're falling from their estate. And now they begin to act like Cain in a beastly way, right? Sin causes these human beings to act like beasts. And then, you know, we fast forward back into Daniel, and Daniel is seeing these, these rulers being raised up that are, that are all these, these crazy looking beasts, right? There's People acting like beasts because they listened to the voice of the serpent. But here's Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, standing strong against the power of Satan, against his deceptive lies. He continually says, It is written, it is written. And he stands against his temptation. He does not listen to the lies of the serpent. He never abdicates his rule to the devil. And as a result, he can say this in John fourteen thirty. He says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. He has no claim on Jesus. You see, had Jesus... Listen to Satan's voice in the wilderness. Had he ever sinned, then Satan would have claim on him. But he never sinned. He never obeyed the voice of the serpent. He always obeyed the voice of his father. And so Satan had no claim on him. And so he stood beneath Satan's power, refusing to listen to his voice. The second thing that we see Jesus do in order to dismantle This domain of darkness is he goes out and he takes dominion just as Adam and Eve had been commissioned to do but failed. So he goes out. We see in the very beginning of his ministry, he begins his public ministry proclaiming um, in Mark 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's establishing his kingdom on the earth. And so he's going proclaiming the good news of this kingdom, and he is taking dominion everywhere he goes. How's he doing that? We see him forgiving sin. We're going to talk more about that as we go. But as he forgives sin, what is he doing? He is releasing the ability for Satan to have a claim on people. He's taking dominion. We see him healing sickness. What is sickness? It's the result of sin and the fall. He's undoing it. We see him actually casting demons out of people. He is removing them. He's saying, you get out of this person. You get out of this person. He is actually taking ground everywhere he goes. Jesus is taking dominion. He takes dominion Through his disciples, we read in Luke 10, 17 through 19, it says the 72, these are 72 disciples that he'd sent out on a mission trip, essentially. They returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Again, this is the beasts, right? And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So we see the beginning of Jesus restoring to humans what was lost. But it's just the beginning of that picture being shown there. So they're going out. They have authority. His disciples have authority to to take dominion from the demons. And maybe you wonder, well, does that apply to us today or was that just his disciples then? Well, I would point us to Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not about taking dominion from people, okay, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, how is it that Christians could wrestle against these spiritual forces of evil had they not been given the authority to do so? You can't wrestle against one that you're under, right? Because those who are under the domain of darkness, the domain of darkness has full sway. We just read that, right? The spirit that is at work within the sons of disobedience. Well, this is different. Now we are not under the domain of darkness. We have been given, Christians have been given authority and dominion over the powers of darkness, It says in Revelation 12.11, we're going to get a glimpse of how this all happens. Revelation 12.11, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, that's Satan, who accuses them day and night before our God. Remember, sin gives Satan claim over someone. And here we're beginning to understand, to get a little bit more of a picture of how that works. Apparently, the accuser could go before God and accuse, right? Condemn. This person has broken your law. They deserve death. But something happens. The accuser has been thrown down, we read. This accuser who accuses night and day. In John 12, 31, this is what Jesus says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. It sounds to me like Jesus is about to deliver the decisive blow. And then we read on, and just before his arrest, he says this in John sixteen thirty three. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. (laughs) Now, is that not a picture of dominion? He has overcome the world. He has overcome these spiritual forces of evil at work in the unseen realm. And so he takes dominion everywhere he goes. He withstands The power of Satan by standing underneath his deceptive lies and standing firm on the truth. He, Secondly, he goes out and he takes dominion as Adam and Eve had been commissioned to do but failed to do. And then thirdly, he destroys Satan's power at the root. He destroys his power at the root. The decisive blow is struck. How does he destroy his power at the root, this one who is the accuser of the brethren, who accuses them night and day before God. How does he cast him out? How does he get thrown down? Look with me at Colossians 2, 13-15. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, that's what happened because of the fall, because of our sin, We're dead in our trespasses, separated from God. God made alive together with him. This is the undoing of the fall, the restoration of humanity. How? Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it, To the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Do you see it? Here are these these rulers, these authorities, and what do they have to come against us with? Our record of debt. That's what they're armed with. Our record of sin. We have sinned against a holy God. We do deserve death. Eternal damnation. That's what he's armed with. And what does he do at the cross? He rips that out of their hands and nails it to the cross. Jesus pays the penalty in full. And in so doing... The accuser stands empty-handed. He's disarmed. He's powerless. He's defeated. You see, the decisive blow was at the cross. The decisive blow was the moment when our debt was fully paid. When Jesus hung on the cross, He said what? it." is finished, totally paid in full, the debt is canceled. He destroyed sin, the very sin that gave Satan claim on us. And he also destroys the consequence of sin, which is death, by being raised from the dead. Hebrews 2.14 tells us this, Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. What wisdom of God, that through death he would destroy the one who has the power of death. What wisdom. I hope you're seeing the gospel in some new light and some some of its beauty, this flawless plan of God to fully dismantle the domain of darkness, to take it apart piece by piece through the life of Jesus. His perfect obedience meant that Satan had no claim on him. His payment for our sins meant that every single person who turns from sin to him to believe in him receives forgiveness. And Satan has no claim on them. His resurrection from the dead meant that he has defeated death itself. He is dismantling the entire Domain of darkness, one piece at a time. And having done so, and having defeated the rulers and authorities and powers of this present age, he had one thing left to do, to return to the Father who sent him. And that's what we read about in John twelve twenty eight. Jesus Jesus told, told his disciples this. I came from the Father and have come into the world... And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Along the way, this was what Jesus had in mind. Hebrews 12 says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He was looking to this, this joy, this this reunion with his Father who sent him. He was looking for this moment. When he stands before Caiaphas and the high priest people, it says that they're, they're challenging him and he's silent. And here's what we read that Jesus says in Matthew 26. It says, Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man, there's that title, seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds. Of heaven. He knew who He was. And this is a clear claim to deity. He is pointing back to this infamous story in Daniel 7. The Son of Man riding the clouds. Only God rides the clouds of heaven. It says in Psalm 103.3, He makes the clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Do you see the power of our God? Do you see the power of Jesus Christ? He doesn't ride horses or mules. He rides clouds. He commands all of creation. You see His glory. You see His majesty. Imagine that you're the disciples. You've walked with Jesus for three years, shuffling feet in the dirt. You've seen Jesus ride on a donkey coming into Jerusalem. You've seen him bleed. You've seen him weep. You know him as a man. And then he dies and he conquers death, he comes back from the grave. And He declares that all who believe in Him will never die, but have their sins forgiven and receive eternal life. He gives His disciples a last commissioning. And then what happens? We read in Acts 1-9, when He had said these things, as the disciples were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And now, He leaves behind the donkey and he begins to ride the clouds. And he rides the clouds out of their sight. They can't see what happens next. But I think, strongly believe, that what Daniel sees in his dream is the very next thing that happens. And So we read Daniel 7. Again, I saw in the night visions And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This is the language of someone who's been sent on a mission and returns with report. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This story can never take a sad turn. It is an everlasting dominion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And who has it? one like a son of man. God, in his wisdom, restores back to humanity what Satan stole in the beginning. What glory, what wisdom. This is the gospel. And so as the representative of a new humanity. He he's, comes up on the clouds. He's presented before the ancient of days, Yahweh himself. He is accepted, more than accepted, exalted. He's told to sit at his right hand. Through death, he has defeated the one who had the power of death. As we keep reading in Daniel 7, in verse 18, I don't think I have this one, I do. Here's what we find out happens. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Jesus restores the dominion of all of creation to humanity, and then what does he do? He hands it over to the saints of the Most High. He hands it over to his bride, to the church. This is glorious church. We are going to inherit and have. We have already, we do not yet see it in its fullest, but we have received the kingdom of heaven. And we will inherit the rule of the earth. We get another glimpse at what's happened here in Psalm 110. Psalm 110 says, and I think this is exactly what happened when he was presented before the Ancient of Days. The Lord, that capital letters Lord, that's Yahweh. That's the Ancient of Days. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord sends forth this commissioning. Who is He commissioning? Us. He sends this commissioning out. Rule in the midst Of your enemies. Christian, do you still live in the midst of the domain of darkness? Yes, very much so, right? Satan is still very much at work in this world, but the decisive blow has been struck. Satan has no claim on you who have been forgiven you are not under his power not under his domain to do his bidding do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies to obey its desires you have the power of the spirit of god in you to put sin under your feet You have the power of the living God, the spirit of the living God in you, that you might reign over sin, that you might reign over all the power of the enemy to trample under feet serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. And you have been commissioned to do what? To go and take dominion for the kingdom of God. What was Jesus' commissioning to his disciples? Go, make disciples, make more of yourselves. What does that sound like? Genesis 1. Go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and take dominion. We, church, have been given this commissioning to go and further the kingdom of God, to advance the domain of Christ on the earth. Under his authority, we've been given authority. And how do we advance this kingdom? By proclaiming the good news, by sharing with everyone that we know that the king has come. He has dealt the decisive blow to the serpent. It's over. It's done. We know how the story ends. But there is still time for people to repent, to turn from their sins and believe in Jesus Christ, to be transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son before He returns coming on the clouds and crushes His enemies under His feet. There is still time for people to repent and to join His kingdom. It's good news, is it not, church? And so we go. We help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus in our workplaces, in our families, in our circle of friends. We help them to find and follow Jesus because one day, one day very soon, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Lord, conquering Lord, glorious Lord, we bow ourselves before you. We humble, we prostrate ourselves before you, Lord. You are powerful, you are wonderful. It's it's hard for us to imagine, Lord, that you would die for us to restore what was lost, to redeem what was broken. Oh, Lord, it is so good to get a glimpse of your glory. Would you help us as we meditate on these things and chew on these things, Help us, Lord, to see your exalted state, your glorious state, to see the beauty of your wisdom in this mystery of the gospel. Lord, today we've only looked at one angle, one facet, and it is incredible, Lord. We worship you. We honor you. To you belongs all glory and honor and praise and power and dominion. Lord, help us. Stir up our hearts afresh to worship you as we were made to worship you. And send us out in power to take dominion from the domain of darkness. To bring it back under the rule of the King. In Jesus' name, amen.